Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Who are those guys? I'm Galen. And I'm Doug. And we're those movie guys. Bringing movie reviews and previews to the masses since 2007. Today is Sunday, July 15th, 2007. Coming up on the show, we take a look at two theatrical releases, one of Michael Moore's documentary, Sicko, and the other is the box office draw, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Coming up afterwards, we'll take a look at our top five movies with a social cause. Okay, but first we're going to start off today's show with our review of Sicko. In Sicko, Michael Moore once again sets out to champion the cause of the common man against the man. This being a tradition he began in 1989's Roger and Me, where he showed the destructive effects of big business on small town America. Ever since that film, Moore's style has been aggressive and admittedly biased, creating a subgenre of the op-ed documentary, which is based more on opinion and belief than fact. Some have attacked Moore because of this, stating that he attempts to mislead and misinform to achieve his goals. Even I, a devoted Moore fan, admit that he is very much a love-him-or-hate-him personality and director. And very often, whether you love or hate him will have more to do with your personal politics than with his skills as a filmmaker. However, this is a movie review podcast, not a political commentary one. So we will attempt to set aside our own biases and judge Moore's film as a creation in its own right. So, Doug, does Michael Moore create an effective documentary, or is his style wearing thin? Well, I was kind of split on this one. I, I did like it overall. I thought he used humor very well. It was used where it should have been and taken out during some of the more uh, emotional scenes. But like you said in the blurb, I always have a hard time believing him. Sometimes yeah. I think maybe his stories are more exaggerated, <laughs> or at times he, and I think he does it in this film, he asks questions that he himself doesn't really answer. Right. Uh, I mean, basically, whenever he's going to basic the different countries, you know, he, he's talking to these different families, but yet... I don't think, at least to me, he did an effective job convincing me that everyone in this country benefits from their type of right, health care. Right. Now, sure, free health care sounds great, but there has to be some drawbacks. There always is. And he started to get into them, but I don't think he followed through with it. Yeah. I think it ends up hurting his message. But, like I said, overall, you certainly do kind of begin to hate the American medical system. Yes. I mean, the film does a great job kind of showing you that it is a huge problem that needs addressed. And I guess it's hard for me to review because I really badly want to put my political biases yeah, and stuff yes. in on it. Well, I and I think to a certain degree you can't avoid that. But... but I am i don't mean to, to totally trash the film. I did like it. I'm glad I see it. And I'm going to even just say it right now. I'm going to go ahead and recommend it. Yeah. 
Uh, I liked it a good deal more than you did. Although I do agree with you on some of the problem. You know, I I think first of all, I I want to get this out is that I have a problem with I I am the first one to admit that Michael Moore can use hyperbole and stretch the truth and and sometimes misrepresent the facts. And I I admit that. Like I said, though, and I'm the only one, I, I think I've coined this term, I call it an op-ed documentary, in that it really isn't necessarily a fair and even view of the issue. And my question is, why does a film have to, pr I, I mean, we don't require this of any other genre of film. We don't require that an action movie that has some sort of, social message, like Blood Diamond, for example. Mm -hmm. We don't demand that it show an even an even representation of the diamond traders or the jewelry stores. Why is there an assumption that documentaries have to be even and split? He's not a journalist. He's a filmmaker. Right, but I think in the case of this film, I think at times, I, I would say to that point, then why bring it up? You know, when when he's going to say... When he's view visiting these other countries with free health care, and he says, you know, well, there's got to be a cost somewhere. Why even ask that question? He, he even says he's going to prove it. I'm trying to explain this without yeah. giving the movie away. But he, he tries to, to prove it to himself, but I don't think he does a convincing enough job. I basically am referring to the taxes. Right. Well, I think he did answer that. I mean, they do have a higher rate of taxes than we do. And I felt that his answer to that was, even though they have the higher rate of taxes, since they don't have to pump all the money into schooling that Americans do, into health care that Americans do, they end up better off than us. Because even though more of their money goes to taxes, less of it goes to debt for student loan payments and the like. So I, I, I thought he did answer that question. I guess maybe I could be convinced of that, but... But, um, but you know, another point, too, is uh, even if a film misrepresents facts doesn't necessarily mean that it, its message isn't accurate. And, I, I mean, a, an example of that is The Thin Blue Line, which is a documentary um, about police enforcement. And it ended up getting a man who was convicted of a crime he did not commit it ended up getting him out of jail because of this film. But later it came out that f scenes from the film were dramatized that were kind of shown that they weren't dramatized. It I forget the exact story, so I'm sure someone will email <laughs> us if I'm wrong. But it was basically that they misrepresented the facts. But the overall point of the story, that the police system didn't work, and that it was a an innocent man was in prison was true. And and I think you can have the same thing here, even if some of the points he makes are biased. I think his core message that America needs a better healthcare system is one that that you can agree with without agreeing with all of the points. Well, I certainly agree. Like I said at the beginning, I think he does make his message clear that Right. American health care is pretty screwed and up. It's important to note, uh, we did open by the disclaimer of Michael Moore being a controversial filmmaker, 
This is probably his least controversial yeah. film, though. Yeah, I, would I mean, agree. Fox News highly recommends this. Uh, Republicans have supported Michael Moore in this film. I, I mean, and and he isn't. I, I mean, he bashes Hillary in this film. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's he is even-handed in that regard, but um, he he does have that. He he does have that tendency to misrepresent facts. I, I don't want to disagree with it. My argument is, though, he's a filmmaker, not a journalist, so if the film is effective, it doesn't bother me. And I thought it was. I, I haven't said anything about the film yet. I've been talking about theory. But but I, I do like... I, some of the things he does very well are the juxtaposition with the music versus images. And he's done this since Roger and Me, where he'll play a song, like a song like "America the Beautiful," and show people who are sick. And yeah. and he's done this in several movies, and I think it works really, really well. And he he might be one of the first to use this ironically like that. He's also one of the first to create the documentary where it's set up like a comedy. I mean. Whenever we looked around the theater, there were a lot of people there that probably would never go to a documentary film in normal circumstances. Right, it's certainly not your standard documentary that you might find on, like, Discovery or well, no. an Information Channel. And even a lot of... I, I mean, because he did change documentary filmmaking, for good or for bad, I yeah. guess you can argue. But... uh he he did change it. I, I also like the Michael Moore character, and it is very much a character that he plays. This guy who just, he's this simple common man who just, with the hat and the, the scruffy the clothes. black jacket, and, yeah, he just, yeah. He just wants the answer. Yeah, and he just doesn't understand why. Why don't these people, surely the government wants us to be healthy. And, and you know, I think he's hilarious as that character. I mean, he has this great flair for the dramatic, too. Like, when he goes to Cuba and is talking on the bullhorn to Guantanamo Bay. See, now that was a part I didn't like. Okay. I mean, I know why he was doing it, yeah. but... And once he actually got into Cuba, I thought, you know, that's that was fine. But the the part on the boats and stuff, I think that hurt his message. A little. It just got, it hurt the message, well, the strength but of it. Once again, I is it all about the message? I I mean, it was funny. I laughed at it. And if you're judging the movie as a comedy, which I think is fair to do. Okay. I, I mean, it's a documentary, but it certainly has comedic touches. Uh, I, I agree with that, all right. All right. But, uh, I mean, if something makes you laugh, and it was supposed to make you laugh, then I think it's effective. I mean, it, it's definitely, I, I understand, I'm definitely in the minority here. Because most people want documentaries to be completely unbiased representations of the facts. Although, I would argue that that's never the case. It's just, and in some ways, it's better with a Michael Moore film because you, he doesn't attempt to hide his biases. I mean, he puts them right up there. You know, I don't know that I would want Michael Moore, per se, to show both sides of it. I would like to see a film that would respond to something yeah. like this, though. Because... It raises those questions, you yeah. know, as I've been stating all through this. 
Well, you know, I I do. I I have talked to people online from other countries like Canada and whatnot, and I've never heard complaints them complaining about their health care. I, I have heard American politicians telling me that they complain about their health care. <laughs> but I've never heard them, and it'd be interesting if anyone from a country other than the U.S. is listening to this podcast, email us and maybe you can answer Doug's question for yeah. you. <laughs> is, is your health care, how would you rate it from 1 to 10? Right. And I would actually love to know. <laughs> I mean, are these people genuine that he's talking yeah. to, or are they not? I, I mean, my my argument, and this is definitely getting off the point, but getting into the political sphere rather than the movie podcasting, but this movie kind of begs for that, is that if the response is that they have ration care in places like Canada and Britain, and you have to wait, well, at least there it's rationed according to need. Whereas in America, healthcare is very much rationed. It's rationed according to how much money you have, and and whether you can pay the bill. I mean, because it's I don't think anyone can deny that Americans are denied treatment because of the healthcare system. I don't think I I mean because we all know people personally. I think that that has been the case for at least I do. Mm-hmm. So you know, and anyways, that's off the point. So. We'll, we'll get off of that, but I, I definitely, I thought that he made a, a good argument, and I thought the movie was funny where it was supposed to be. I do think that it got too manipulative in part. My, the one scene that I thought was really bad was that whenever he got the little kid, to whenever he asked the kid, where's your dad, and he said he's in Iraq. Uh, oh. I mean, because that was clearly scripted yeah. and manipulated. And, I mean, that I did have a problem with. And there are scenes like that. I don't want to make it sound like I disagree with you too much. But it's more a philosophical disagreement than an actual film criticism. So, Doug, we've talked enough about this. <laughs> what are you going to give sick of? Well, I'm going... I have it here as a recommendation, and I think you've even convinced me I'm going to bump it up a half a point. I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a four as well. So, I mean, we agree on the the score. We just don't uh, necessarily agree uh, on I the I guess, philosophy. if anything, <laughs> it was hard for me to review it because I, I certainly agreed with Michael Moore's yeah, views. Yeah, right. It's just... I'm trying to review this unbiased, and yeah. I have a strong bias to hate the American medical system. Yeah, I think, uh, and that's what I said in the disclaimer. I'll be you know? real honest, I came out of the movie, and I wanted to pack my things up and move to Canada. Well, and I I, had a, I was pissed, and I wanted to change it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's ultimately what he's aiming for. Yeah, so I guess I'll call it a success. Yes. <laughs> We now take a look at Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Well, Galen, I'm forced to admit I know very little about the Harry Potter phenomenon. I've seen the first film of the series, but I've not seen any of the others, nor have I read any of the books. When it comes to the magical world of Hogwarts, I am merely an ignorant muggle. And I have no idea what the hell that means, but since Galen wrote this blurb, I'm assuming it's an insult. So it should come as no surprise that Galen was the only one of us to see The Order of the Phoenix this week, and therefore we are going to have to defer to his expertise alone, such as it is. 
So Galen, I know that you bought the first two Harry Potters directed by Chris Columbus, and you thought they were at best mediocre. But that the third and the fourth, directed by Alfonso Cuaron and Mike Newell respectively, got progressively better. With Goblet of Fire being a very thrilling and dark fantasy adventure story. So does David Yates, who will also direct the sixth Potter film, continue the upward trend with Order of the Phoenix? Or does he take a step backwards? Well, he takes a slight step backwards. Let's just get that out of the way right now. I did like this film. I didn't love it. I don't think it's as good as Goblet of Fire. So that's your favorite. So Pro- yes, probably. And oh, a little correction: I didn't buy the first two films. I I just uh, I just saw them. But um, anyway, did I say you bought? Yes, them? it sounded like you did. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, <laughs> but yeah, because. The first two films I did think were seriously weak. They, I mean, I didn't hate them, but they were basically mediocre fantasy yeah, stories. I wasn't so. real thrilled with the first one. Yeah. I mean, it's Chris Columbus, so you can expect a mediocre thing. I, I think also it took the Harry Potter so long to get good special effects. I mean, because the first Potter film was in 2001, so it's not that long ago. You have his contemporaries, the first Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. and a few years before, you have uh, Phantom Menace. So, I mean, there were movies with very convincing computer animation, and the server is fluffy from the first film looked awful. Yeah, but at the same time... (laughs) They probably didn't realize the success of these films and maybe didn't give it the budget that it got later on. Well, I don't know. The books were wildly well, successful, I know, so I would have... Still, you don't know how the movie's yeah. going to take. You might add a lot of people see and say, ah, the book That's better. possible. But anyways, that that's my thoughts on those. And then I thought the third was significantly better, and the fourth is, is very good as a fantasy adventure story. Uh, Order of the Phoenix, I, I, I'll talk about what I liked about it first. I thought that it had wonderful this wonderful dark setting, and the scenes are really dark. It has such a grim atmosphere to it, which is similar to the atmosphere in the book as well. They, the books get progressively darker. So you've read they, all the books as well. Up to, up to the final one, which doesn't get released till the end of the week yet. Um, it, another thing that Yates seemed to do is give a blue tint to the film. I mean, the scenes all seemed to have this blue tint, which further made it kind of dark and cool. And it, it definitely, it's not, it's rated really PG-13, and it's not something you'd want to take a young child to see, because it, it would be frightening for them. Um, so I, I did like that it had a more adult feel to it. And the special effects in this are fantastic. Probably as the good best. as Transformers. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if you can compare the two really because okay. it's totally different things. But they are very—they're convincing at what they do. Everything convinces you. So in that sense, I'd say yes, it's equal to Transformers. Okay. Um, particularly the final fight scene is phenomenal. It's a great fight scene in the book. And in the movie, it it was just fantastic to watch. It's really the first great magic battle that the Harry Potter series gives you. And they did a terrific job with it. Um, Now, it, it probably sounds like I love it so far, but there are some issues that I had. 
the opening is so drawn out. And I seri- I was very, uh, very much shifting in my seat at the beginning of this <laughs> film. Because, and it's, it's nothing that necessarily you can blame David Yates for, per se, but the book, it's... It's not. It is very long. It's the. It's one of the longest, if not the longest, of the Potter films or Potter books so far. And it also is of a nature that so much of it is central to the plot that it's more difficult to cut. And they just felt like they were cramming exposition in at the beginning because oh, you need to know this. You need to know this. You need to know that. And they. They told it. It's the old cliche of show, don't tell. And they didn't follow that. Yates told instead of showed. And I, it's tough to... Because if he had shown it, the movie would have been three hours instead of the two hours and 20 minutes that it is. So it's, it's difficult to criticize that too harshly. But it does make the beginning kind of boring. And that, that is a serious flaw. Uh, also, they they put uh, this is the first book. Well, uh, the fourth has a bit of a romance story, but the fifth has the most developed of the romance stories. And they put it in the movie, but it's condensed into two scenes. Literally, there's a scene where they get together and a scene where they break up, <laughs> and that's that's it. And and each scene lasts all of three or four minutes. And to me, if they were going to keep that in, and if that's all the time they were going to devote to it, they should have just taken that Next out completely. Yeah. Although I know fans would have been in an uproar, but if that's all the time you're going to devote to it, then you have... I'm sure there are tons of scenes with Harry and Cho that are deleted scenes that will be on the DVD, because it had that feel, because there's a lot left unsaid that I'm sure they made scenes for, but... They should have just cut it out completely. Uh, another point I'd like to make, this is a good point, the acting, and the acting has been solid in all of the Harry Potter films, but it, it's still excellent in this. I love Alan Rickman as Snape. I, Alan Rickman's great in everything, but I love him as Snape. I think he's terrific. I think that Michael Gambon is great as Dumbledore, and I think it's funny to see... Because Michael Gambon typically plays these horrible British criminals in these British crime movies, and he was this this horrible man in The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. He was a horrible crime boss in Layer Cake. And it's weird hearing him be a guy who, like, says fuck every other word, and then having mm. him play Dumbledore in Harry Potter. But he, he does a fantastic job of it. And uh, I also like, um, I can't recall it, Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy. He's also a very effective villain in, in the series, and I've liked him so far. It does have a huge role, but he's effective in what he does. One character, though, I don't think works is Imelda Staunton plays uh, Umbridge, Professor Umbridge. And she, I, I don't know if it's so much her performance... Or the character itself, because I even felt in the book, the character I just didn't buy. Because she kind of acts fake nice, but at the same time she's acting fake nice, she 
has no desire for people to like her or agree with her methods. So I'm not sure why a character... The whole reason of pretending to be nice is to get people to follow you and like you. And if you don't care about any of that, if you're just going to strong-arm your way with them anyway, why be fake nice? So it, it comes off as contrived. So I, I don't know. I, I didn't like her so much. So... That, that's basically all I've got to say on it, which I've talked for about ten minutes now. So. But bottom line is, it's a solid entry. I'm going to give it a 3.5. So I do recommend seeing it, but it's not as good as the fourth one. So do you think non-Potter fans will continue to like it? or? Yeah, I do. I, 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 think, it, I think three through five non-Potter fans would like. Because they do have a darker, more mature feel to them. They're not the... I don't want to say juvenile, but the Chris Columbus films did have a more childlike quality to them. And the other three are a little more mature. So I do recommend it, even if you're not a Potter fan, it is a solid fantasy film. Well, now we're going to continue on with our top five list. And today we're looking at the top five movies with a social cause. And to start us off, here's Galen. All right. Well, first I'd like to talk about the criteria I had for this. I basically just, any movie that looked at anything, any movie that's trying to expose any sort of injustice is basically, was my criteria. It didn't have to be a documentary. In fact, none of mine are. But it's just the basic idea that it's a real-life injustice that they attempted to use fictionalized film to expose and to try to motivate people to change. I was kind of the same way. I'll just add most of my films, actually, all of my films are pretty recent. Very recent, in fact. Go ahead. I'm going to start with number five. Good night and good luck. Uh, this was George Clooney's effort from a couple years ago. And it was, I thought it was extremely powerful. It was a great story about how you have to stand up against people who use fear and ignorance to promote their causes, like McCarthy did. And it shows the values of men like Edward R. Murrow, who challenge that system and will fight the people who use ignorance as a weapon. You know, that's a funny movie because I wanted to give that the Best Picture Award. And you I did. I <laughs> hadn't seen it and still haven't, and I've owned it now for however long. I thought you were going I, to uh, say, and I've done, and I'm going to put it on the list. <laughs> no, I don't have it on my list. I did take, I was fair. I haven't seen it yet, but yet I talk like I love the movie. Yeah. But... I, I promise someday I'll. It's get your to favorite see movie that, you've that never, never seen. seen. Yes, it is. Well, my number five, I did pick a, actually best <laughs> picture. It was the movie Crash, and I was kind of tossing up between this and a movie like Babel, mm. but I think I like Crash a little better. <laughs> the reasoning for it is I, I I would like for all the emailers to distance myself from Doug's comment right oh, there. Well, not that Babel was bad, but I thought 
I guess I just have a habit of comparing Babel with Crash. Yeah. And to me, Crash seemed like the, the characters were... Their stories were woven a little tighter than they were in Babel. Babel, it's almost... I get to me more like three short stories. They're both yeah. good films. Maybe I could even give them a tie. I did enjoy both, but regardless, they're certainly movies with a social cause. Oh, yes. More of a why well, can't we no, all just right. get along sort of message. And I'm going to put that five. Okay. My number four is Bloody Sunday, the Paul Grassman or the Paul Greengrass film <laughs> <laughs> from 2000. It covers the bloody mass, bloody Sunday massacre that where British troops open fire on uh, Irish protesters, unarmed women and children and men who were protesting conditions in Ireland. And I, I really just, I find it so powerful. Like most of Paul Greengrass's work, it has a very documentary feel to it. I love the camera work in it, and it does deal with this social issue of a people being oppressed by a much more powerful government. So that's my fourth choice. My fourth choice is Letters from Iwo Jima. Oh. And I I really appreciated this film because, especially over the sister film, Flags of Our Fathers, yeah. which I really, really did not like. Yeah, I, I agree thought, with you on that. I thought this one did a much better <laughs> job showing... From the perspective of the Japanese, you know, kind of what happened on the, the island. And I even really enjoyed the scenes that are kind of the narrated letters mm. that the soldiers were were sending to their family and their loved ones. And I actually, my favorite scene is the one where the, the general, and I'm terrible with names here, has dinner with kind of the stuffy Americans, you know, it... it Kind of just shows a little what's wrong with us. Yeah. You know, that, I don't know. I can't explain it any no. better than that. Well, but, no. But I do love the movie. Yeah, and it's very yeah. much an anti-war film. Right, I, of I mean, course. It, it, I, the thing I liked about it is how it showed these these Japanese soldiers. I mean, they wanted to be with their family. They, they didn't... Their government was an imperialist power that was going and and invading other countries, and it was all for the good of Japan. Well, this this Japanese soldier that just got married and had a baby on the way, he didn't give a crap about right. fight, about expanding the borders of Japan. Mm -hmm. He just wanted to be with his family. And that that's really the, the criticism against war, is that the people right. who fight the war don't have any stakes in it. They're mm -hmm. just used by the government. And that's the smart person. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying my point. <laughs> oh my. But my number three is one of my favorite movies, Inherit the Wind. This is an older one with Spencer Tracy, who I, I love Spencer Tracy in almost everything he ever did. Uh, it's, a it's a film based on a play that dramatized the Scopes Monkey Trial, where evolution was put on trial against creationism and I love the movie because it deals very much with the issues of fighting ignorance I mean very much the the pursuit of science and evidence against superstition and I know I'm going to get emails on that but 
Oh, well. <laughs> That's my number three, and I'm sticking to it. My number three is The Constant Gardener. And, you know, this that was... That almost made my list, too. This was a good film, kind of similar to Sicko. You know, you have these horrible conglomerated drug companies mm-hmm. kind of almost deciding who lives and who dies. I mean, the the imagery used in the movie when Rachel Weiss goes to these third world countries is incredibly powerful. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you really, it really takes you. And I thought the movie had a fantastic ending. Yeah. I loved it. And it's my number two. Yeah, I, I just want to point out, my favorite scene in the movie is when they're on the golf course and it cuts to the slums. Right. And it's just the most powerful uh, contrast that I've ever seen in a film. Just this rich, wealthy country club that you could see in America and then these slums that you just are such Horrifying, poverty yeah. that you couldn't even imagine it. So that's a great pick. My number two is the Charlie Chaplin movie, Modern Times, where he attacked the modern machine. I Literally, a fight the machine movie, where it, Chaplin, almost any of his movies you could pick as a social criticism film. He was very much against the encroachment of both technology, but also the wealthy gaining more wealth at the expense of the poor becoming poor. And Modern Times kind of encapsulates all this. It's a man who who kind of gets stuck in this modern world with where machines are more important than man, where it's easy to fall through the cracks. And uh, it, it's just, it's a really powerful commentary on Modern Times. <laughs> <laughs> My number two choice is Thank You for Smoking. And this was another great film that I loved and, of course, laughed at. It's Yeah. Very, very comedic tone to it. But it's another movie where you have kind of one man fighting against the man. Yeah. The, these huge conglomerated tobacco, the tobacco industry. And it's millions and millions of dollars that it makes and tries to lure people in, but yet is it effectively just killing everybody, mm-hmm. causing its uh, health problems. So this was... A very good movie. I definitely suggest everybody sees this. Yeah, agree. It actually has a, it makes a lot of good points against the media too, and how oh it, yeah, you know, and spin, Congress, spin control, I mean, lobbying, lobbyism, yeah, all those sorts of things. It's a great movie. My number one is another older one, Twelve Angry Men, which is also a drama, a film adaptation of a play. Uh, it's, it was directed by Sidney Lumet. I believe Lumet's second or third film. I can't remember offhand. But it's a great story about the problem with the justice system where you get 12 people on a jury, but everyone has their own prejudices, their own biases, their own beliefs, and how um, Fonda's character tries to just cut through all that and use the cold, hard logic of reason to give the man on trial a fair trial and a fair hearing. It's really a fantastic film where basically it almost completely takes place in one room for the whole film, and it's pretty much just 12 men talking the whole time. But I don't know if there's a more... Almost a Hitchcock type. Yeah, 
I don't know if there's a more riveting piece of film out there, though. It's fantastic. You know, I almost put a Hitchcock movie on here, Rear Window, for its kind of look at voyeurism and how we tend to get overbearing or more interested in other people's lives than our own, but I didn't put it on the list. My number one choice is Children of Men. Mm. I think that movie is a scary, scary look at what we will be becoming yeah. in the very well, that's near a, future. Yeah, that's a good choice. I didn't really think of that, but you're right. It is a very much a social commentary film, as sci-fi frequently is. Mm-hmm. What, was there another thought you had on No, no. Oh, okay. I love the movie. It's another one I highly, highly yeah. recommend. I, I think people who get caught up in that film's, you know, kind of lack of explanation for its more fictitious... For the... The groups and the... Infertility of yeah, women, yeah. Yeah, they're really missing the point of the film. I, I, I think the social criticisms are the highlight of it. I couldn't agree more. It's one of the best films of the past five years, so if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Well, now it's time to talk releases. <laughs> and what and, wonderful ones yes, we have. I wasn't informed of the 17th, this coming Tuesday, being Horrible Film Day, but it, it most certainly seems to be. We have coming on DVD, Premonition, the sub-mediocre film starring Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. And then we have the film that I'm sure people will be running away from in droves. Well, that's probably not true. I'm sure this did fairly well. The Hills Have Eyes too. So, if you like torture films where babies get raped and killed, then <laughs> Hills Have Eyes too is the perfect film for you. <laughs> but next week, we do actually have great theatrical releases coming up on Friday the 20th. Hairspray. We have no. Hairspray. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, hairspray <laughs> might not be horrible. It, I, I'm pretty sure both of us will be missing it, but <laughs> it might not be terrible. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Also might not be horrible, although I'm pretty sure it, we'll be missing it. It could be it. funny. Adam Sandler's been hit or miss lately. However, we have two great ones coming up. Sunshine, a sci-fi movie from Danny Boyle, who directed Train Spotting and 28 Days Later. It's about the the sun is dying, so they launch a a mission to revitalize it. It looks fantastic. And the other film coming out that shows some promise is Rescue Dawn. It's directed by Werner Herzog, who uh, brought us Grizzly Man, Fitzcarraldo. A number of films, and uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. So I'm sure Doug and I will watch one of those at least next week if we can't get to bed. So that'll be next week's show, and if we got too political for you today, I guess we'll have to apologize, but it was just in the spirit of Sicko. And once again, send your hate mail to Doug. Because I don't <laughs> give a crap about politics. <laughs> That's at thosemovieguys at gmail.com. We seriously would love to hear all of your comments and anything you want. Even if it's yelling at us because we're liberal pigs, that's fine too. We just love to get the feedback. Okay, that's all for today's show. If you would like to review any of the ratings that we gave the movies that we covered today, please visit thosemovieguys.blogspot.com. There you can find more in-depth reviews, our star ratings, 
as well as links to items that we may have covered in the show. Plus, you can subscribe to our feed. Also, you can visit Google Groups at groups.google.com. When you're there, search for Those Movie Guys. You can post a message to our forums. And you can also email us at thosemovieguys at gmail.com. Those movie guys at gmail.com. We look forward to any feedback that you can give us about why we're retarded. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.